Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. This episode is brought to you by Flipboard. In today's chaotic media landscape, it can feel impossible to reach people while they're actually paying attention. Flipboard solves that problem. Learn how at flipboardforbrands.com. That's flipboardforbrands.com. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative editor at Adweek, and happy to welcome back Katie Richards, staff writer covering the brand marketing beat. Katie, how have you been? I've been good. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. And we've also got back Sarah Jurdy, staff writer covering the uh, digital media industry. Sarah, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we are going to be talking today about Adweek's annual list of the most powerful women in sports. Uh, but before we get to that, we've got some fun news to talk about uh, and this week's ad worth watching. So let's get to it. All right, Katie, I think we need to close the loop. Yeah. <laughs> let's, 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 let's put the nail on this thing. IHOB, the International House of Burgers, as I think we... It blatantly uh, expected when we mentioned this last on the podcast was not a permanent name change. It turns out, shocking. <laughs> it, they have they have revealed and reverted back to being IHOP, the International House of Pancakes. Uh, and um, in a tweet, they said we'd never turn our back on pancakes except for that time we faked it to promote our new burgers, which I thought was really applaudably transparent. Yeah, I mean. I, I do appreciate that they were like, yeah, we were just doing this as a marketing stunt. But we already all knew that it was a marketing stunt. I don't think anyone really thought like, oh, my God, IHOP is never going to have pancakes again because they're now IHOP. Um, I mean, I, I don't think people th- thought they dropped pancakes, but there certainly was a sizable number of people out there who were like, this is the dumbest name change. <laughs> you know, it's like like they lear- this is an argument that I had. I got tired of having pretty quickly where I would just tell people it's just a stunt. It's obviously a stunt. And then, you know, but a certain like percentage of people just wanted to believe that this was a permanent lasting decision uh, but uh, obviously not they they have reverted back uh, so according to your story Katie uh, between June 1 and June 11 there were 
more than 489,000 mentions of IHOB on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that uh, per their CMO, they talked about millions of people uh, discussing this and engaging with it across all media. It certainly got uh, an insane amount of coverage and discussion. So my question for you two is, was this effective? I mean, I think if you look at it from the perspective of like social chatter, I think it definitely was. You got like so many other brands commenting on it when it first when the news first broke like wendy's was kind of savage and making fun of ihob but you still were they they were engaging a lot of other brands so i think from that perspective it was successful but did it really help them sell more burgers i don't know i'm hopefully going to talk to them you know in a couple weeks and see like what actually came of this did they see a spike in burger sales and I mean my guess is maybe a slight bump but I don't think it I don't know I can't see it doing a ton for their burger sales I'd be interested to know too what it did for their pancake sales I mean yeah. if people were flocking there to try their burgers I mean right. were the pancakes all left out to dry I don't know um, but I think I agree. There was definitely so much social chatter about it. All these pictures of their burgers were going around. Um, I'd be interested to hear whether that actually resulted in any sales or any additional chatter about about the business. Yeah, there's a weird. Uh, I I think it's a coincidence. There were some more conspiratorially minded folks on Twitter uh, when I posted a screenshot of this. But a friend of mine found an article from March in Esquire where they were talking about IHOP. It was in praise of IHOP. And uh, and it said that the Washington Post had given IHOP a kind of negative food review saying that they especially thought their burger uh, was awful. Um, and this was obviously pre-rebooted you know, burger menu. And the writer said, hey, it's called IHOP, not IHOB. And this, like, this article came out like you know two months before the stunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think that's kind of telling that you had places like the Washington Post dinging them for specifically for their burgers. So I'm guessing there was some strate- strategic value here, not just in, hey, burgers, you know, burgers are a hot thing uh, because, you know, they've obviously been around forever. But that there was some strategic value in making those a, a higher quality product. Um, and I mean, I, I don't think you could fault them. I don't know if there's an ad campaign out there that could have gotten more people talking about burgers at IHOP than this. And so in that in that sense it seems like it was a home run i think the question mark is always did it do you know people take these things very literally and droga 5 the agency behind this tends to they're they're quite intellectual about such things and they they don't really put a lot of stock in whether or not people were misled by something you know what i mean katie is that fair like it feels yeah. like they there's a lot of levels of meta <laughs> with yeah, droga sure. work yeah. I, I think like there were probably quite a few people who were like, I thought you were changing your name. And then, there, you know, some of those people may hold a grudge or they may not. But in the end, I mean, it was a talker. So congrats to them. And I look forward to <laughs> seeing a seeing more of our coverage on uh, kind of how the effectiveness. But if nothing else, it's like it's like the scene at the end of Lord of the Rings. You know, it's finally over. We have made it through. Congratulations, and, uh, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, everybody. All right. Uh, the other uh, tidbit I wanted to touch on, not not necessarily the biggest acquisition going on right now, but but kind of a a, um, a bellwether, if you will. Uh, Sir Martin Sorrell, uh, obviously high profile, ousted from his own company, WPP, the most uh, you know, powerful, largest advertising company in the world. Uh, he has started a new company, as I think we've mentioned before, called S4 Capital, and they've made their first major acquisition. Uh, they are buying the digital production house Media Monks for $350 million. Uh, 
you know, this is a, a amid kind of a lot of battles with WPP saying that he is in violation of his, uh, you know, I can't remember if it's a non-compete or just whatever kind of contract he had. Uh, but, uh, Katie, I feel like this is, like I said, not the biggest acquisition ever, but I feel like it um, it shows that he is blatantly building a, a new empire. Uh, you know, what do you think is going to become of this S4? I mean, yeah, for sure. A $350 million deal just, you know, months after he's been ousted from WPP, I think is a huge sign of just his power in the industry and like the connections that he still has. Um I don't know. I guess I just I'm curious, like what the uh, what it will mean, you know, if WPP is saying he's he's in violation of whatever contract, like what what can they really do about it? You know, I mean, I don't know if you have an answer to that, but I'm just kind of curious. <laughs> well, as Martin Sorrell's lawyer, I can tell you. <laughs> no, um, he the what fascinates me about this is what he is buying. Martin Sorrell's not buying agencies because he knows that agencies are kind of in this existential struggle against um, you know consultancies and in-house teams. But everybody needs production. Like you, you don't have an in-house mega production. I mean, maybe you do, but probably not. Um, you know, if you're not GoPro or somebody, you probably don't have this huge. So, so to me, that's what's really smart about this is that he. I wonder if he's going to be building a holding company that you know, is the shared resources that whether you're Accenture or you're uh, Deloitte or you are, you know, PricewaterhouseCoopers or you're an agency, everyone needs these companies, right? Everyone needs to throw money at them. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I'm going off a data point of one. Right. <laughs> so, like, so we will we will see. Um, but uh, but to me, that that's what could be really strategic about this. I did also want to mention, just so that people don't think we were uh, glossing over another huge acquisition in the space, uh, IPG, uh, Interpublic Group, had another holding company, bought uh, the database marketing firm Axiom, which you may or may not have heard of, depending kind of what part of the industry you work in. They bought it for $2.3 billion, so a slightly larger acquisition. Uh, this is a uh, it's a database marketing company. They have a ton of data on consumers. They, according to some of the reports in Adweek and elsewhere, 2.2 billion consumers uh, they have data on. So probably all of us. And they're going to use this, uh, you know, making that quasi-proprietary data that they can use to target their ads. Pretty smart, um, but uh, not too much more to say about that. I just wanted to acknowledge that. Uh, there is a bit of a, you know, there has not been a ton of acquisitions in the last year. And so part of me is wondering if second half of 2018 is going to start to turn into a, a bit of a, a, you know, snatch and grab of everybody kind of picking up as many companies as they can. Because we're kind of defining this new, this next era, right, of like holding companies have defined it for a long time. But now the consultancies are, are changing everything. Um, and it's, yeah, should be, it should be an interesting few months ahead. So, all right, well, let's move forward to the fun stuff. Let's talk about this week's ad worth watching. All right, this one, uh, this week, we wanted to talk about a, I guess, a stunt, you would call it. It's a, these things are always hard to describe. Not an activation, not quite an ad. Crispin porter Bogusky, sorry, officially called CPB now. Uh, they did a project for Fruit of the Loom, uh, the underwear company promoting the Everlight underwear, which bills itself as underwear so light you won't even notice you're wearing it. Which I can't, let's just stop there for a second. I, I have to say, as like a dude who's worn underwear pretty much his whole life, um, I can't say I've ever been bothered by the by the weight of my underwear. <laughs> you know, like like I don't sit around just being like, man, just I'm so tired of heavy underwear. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah, you guys, like nothing to, nothing to contribute to. But I mean, I just when I heard that point, like that, that that's their sale point. I was like, is that a thing? Like, do dudes are dudes bothered by the the weight and the feeling that they're even? I don't know. Anyway, so is this is this campaign only for men's underwear? Or is it for women's too? All right. Uh, quick Google seems to show that it is for both genders. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I, they seemed like they were primarily targeting guys with this. But anyway, setting aside the product benefits of this, the way they promoted it was pretty clever. Uh, that they basically ran a bunch of ads that are that promote the some of them more visibly than others promote the underwear but what they really are is hinting at a little treasure hunt that there were big stashes of cash uh, $1,851 in each stash referencing 1851 as the year that the brand was founded uh, and the they placed I believe 11 of these um, around New York and online and the gimmick here is that people don't pay attention to ads and so they hid in plain sight, uh, they hid these hints of where this money was hidden. All you had to do was actually bother to read the fine print on an ad posted in public. Uh, there's one huge kind of set of posters that was along a wall. And if you read the fine print, you would know to just punch a letter in the poster. And then right behind it was a big pile of cash. And so in the in the video, which you can see on Adweek, if you look up Fruit of the Loom, Adweek, you'll find it. Uh, there, It's basically the just footage of all the people who found it, which was only six people uh, in all of New York actually found these things and, you know, punched in and found they had cameras hidden inside of the, the uh, little stashes to catch people. Um, but uh, they say that they still have several more. Last, last we had uh, heard, they had not all been found. Uh, there's one in a newspaper classified. There's an ad for a realtor named Eva Light or Ava Light. Get it? It's a, it's a pun. It's a wordplay. And there's even a social media post. Uh, I, I don't know. I kind of love this. Our readers certainly enjoyed uh, enjoyed this one. What do you guys think? I mean, just it, there seems to be this very cynical acceptance here that ads are worthless when you say only six people actually even noticed uh, our ad and that that's kind of the whole point. I don't know. Is this a positive or a negative? I mean, we're talking about it, so there's... It's definitely creating some waves. I've got to say, watching the video, I personally would not notice them walking by them on the sidewalk. I mean, it's one thing if they were to put them in the subway where everyone's just sort of sitting there and staring at, off into the distance, looking for some distraction. But if, you know, you're out in the wild, out in the sidewalk or a billboard, I don't necessarily take note of those things. Yeah, so I, I'm actually very upset after watching this um, <laughs> this video because I'm pretty sure that one of these is in my neighborhood, like oh. two blocks from my apartment, and I have not seen it. So clearly, <laughs> I don't pay attention to advertising, and it's kind of my job. Yes, but so, so you literally, <laughs> literally write about ads for a living. Like, how, how is that possible that I did not notice it? I will say though, it was. It looks like if it's what I'm the spot I'm thinking, it's like one of those ones that's on the ground, like. That little red box. I don't know if you if you've watched the video, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. But it's like very small and on the ground. And like when I'm walking to or from work, I'm kind of you know not looking around trying to take things in. I either want to get to the subway or want to like get home after a long day. So I'm not really paying attention. But I mean, this makes me think I should look around a little bit more and pay pay closer attention to ads. I guess. Yeah, that feels like and that. It's like, yeah, you want to say that that's the takeaway, but obviously it's, you know, don't. 
Like, don't, don't like, don't spend your life hoping that reading the fine print of ads is going to get you a thousand eight hundred dollars. You know, true. It's like, yeah, it's just. A, but so this is one of those where it's very clever. I think it was a great way to get conversation. It certainly ties back to the product. This idea of it's like it's hiding in plain sight. You don't even notice it. You just like you supposedly don't notice this underwear. Um, but at the same time, there is this kind of cynical just acknowledgement that no one cares about ads and no. No one cares what you put in there. <laughs> and so rewarding those small number of people. Uh, CPB, I should note, has done something uh, similar. Part of me wonders if if this is what inspired it. Uh, with Captain Obvious for Hotels.com, uh, they did a TV ad that rewarded uh, – Hotels.com, a lot of their work has really uh, – and I think we've talked about it on the podcast – has kind of hacked different media – different – ad media. For one, they did a uh, TV ad that rewards you for pausing it. Uh, you know, if you're watching on like, uh, what you know, the, if you're watching a rerun where you can pause or fast forward, uh, and you if you pause and actually read the fine print, they basically would give you free money. Um, and so, you know, they've done things like that before. They they did uh, they did some autoplay stuff with audio where they mess with the audio, assuming that it's going to be turned off. Uh, so I wonder if CPB kind of took some of those lessons and applied them here because, it, you know, it's very similar, this idea of like hiding people and, re- you know, hiding stuff and rewarding people for digging through it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, a clever one. Check it out on adweek.com. It said if you uh, just look up Fruit of the Loom and, I don't know, uh, $1,851. Any combination of that, you'll find it. So, All right. Uh, we're going to take a little break, and then we'll be back to discuss the most powerful women in sports. This episode is brought to you by Flipboard, a curated content app reaching over 100 million monthly users who are paying attention to great content and brands like yours. Learn more at flipboardforbrands.com. That's flipboardforbrands.com. All right. Well, like I said, this week uh, in our print edition is our annual 30 Most Powerful Women in Sports list. Uh, first off, I'm just curious. You two both worked on quite a few of the, the little bios that we had of honorees this year. Um, Katie, why don't you tell us first, you've been part of this uh, project in the past. How do you think we define power and powerful when we when we set out to kind of build this list each year? That's a good question. I think it, it kind of depends on what kind of section of the industry you're looking at. I mean, from the brand perspective, I feel like we're looking for brands that, um, I guess, spend a lot of money in the sponsorship world when it comes to sponsoring sports um, or just kind of have the most creative or interesting ways of um, inserting their brand into sports. Like one of the the people I wrote about, which I'm sure we'll touch on a bit later, is from Michelob Ultra. And you don't always think of athletes and alcohol kind of fitting together, but they're a brand that's kind of taken this challenge and um, created a really interesting way to insert their brand into the world of sports. So I think in that respect, like creativity or just kind of being in the right places, being in the most places, um, that's kind of what I what I think of. Sarah, what do you think? How did you, going into this, uh, you know, when you saw the list as it was coming together, what do you think unifies this list? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I had more of uh, people of power who fell into more of the media category. Um, one of the women that I interviewed um, from the Women's National Basketball Association. She really came in and, and turned the organization around, and so she's translated those um, you know, successes into actual dollars for the company. And so that's how I defined it in going into this, talking to her about all the different strategies that she implemented and what she actually did to uh, see success in this new season. 
Yeah, that's uh, Lisa Borders, right, right, from WNBA. And you also profiled Pam L., who, I, who I, you know, is quite well known. She is the CMO of the National Basketball Association, the NBA. Uh, tell us about Pam. Uh, what did you learn about her in, the, in this project? Well, um, one of the things that I noticed in talking to all of the different people I chatted with for these profiles is just their vivaciousness and enthusiasm for the industry. I mean, Lisa and especially Pam were just so excited to go to work every morning and to talk about what they do on the day-to-day. And so... Coming off the phone with her, I was really sort of just enthusiastic and sort of fired up to write more about her. Um, But it was interesting. I chatted with Pam on the afternoon before a finals game. She was in Cleveland. So I kind of tried to plead with her to make sure the good guys won. And unfortunately, they did not that night. But um, she was great (laughs) to speak to and uh, to learn more about all that she's done for NBA, one of which was seeing a um, new marketing campaign for one of their minor league uh, organizations. So um, she's just a very inspiring figure as really applies to most uh, all of the women that we profiled in the series. You, you know, something that really struck me reading these profiles uh, with sports is that unlike most industries we cover that are kind of tied to one medium, like when you talk about television, you know, television, what we think of is broadcast TV and streaming has changed that. But, you know, streaming is kind of its own thing and TV is its own industry. And sports is this thing that doesn't really require that anything stays the same. Like the media can change the way that people consume content can change. Sports will continue to thrive because it'll always adapt. And so to me, that's just got to give them a lot more yeah, like to your point, enthusiasm and confidence that you're in an industry that's going to do, you know, certain sports may kind of rise and fall a little bit. Um, but y- you know what I mean? It, it, I don't know. Is, is that what, what do you guys think of that idea that it's just it feels like the kind of industry that's just not not held back by as many limitations as as some of the other things we cover? I think that's fair. Um, and just to add on to it, Lisa Borders, the president of the WNBA, she mentioned how she her league is now for the first time in a video game. So not only are they using, you know, standard television to sort of share their games, they're also branching to these other mediums and expanding their platforms that way. Yeah. Uh, Katie, you talked to, as we mentioned, some of the folks on the brand marketing side who have been more uh, tied in with, with sports. You know, with Michelob Ultra, I, I do think of, uh, so you featured Azania Andrews, uh, uh, and she she's the VP of marketing at Michelob Ultra. Uh, I, I certainly, maybe because of just their association with, I don't know if you'd say athletes, but people who are active. Um, but but tell us more about what they've been doing. I certainly think of it as the beer for people who work out. So good on them yeah. for, for kind of building that. But, but what else have they done in the sports space? Yeah, so they had two Super Bowl spots this year, which was kind of big for them um, with Chris Pratt and a bunch of athletes as well. But then they also kind of pride themselves on finding different, you know, like not as mainstream sports that they can insert themselves into, which I think is really interesting. So last year they kicked off this partnership with um, the New York City Marathon, which they're carrying on again this year, where they give 90 people who didn't get um, an entry into the marathon or aren't, you know, didn't qualify for whatever reason. They give them free entry into the marathon and they provide them with training and they work with Shalane Flanagan who won the New York City Marathon last year and she also appears in their Super Bowl spot. She's going to be coaching the team this year and it's the, the kind of criteria for applying is you have to love running but you also have to love beer. So it kind of like creates this really interesting group of people um, and kind of just a different sector of people that enjoy beer but also like to stay active. 
Uh, they also sponsored the Founders Cup of Surfing for the first time this year. So I think that, you know, what I really like about about um, Azania is she's just kind of looking for these different opportunities for a beer brand. When normally you think of beer, you think NFL or, you know, MLB, you think big names, but she's kind of trying to find new and interesting ways to to get the brand out there. Yeah, I mean, it's literally like the one beer you don't picture people just sitting and drinking, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you also featured Lynn Bigar, or Bigar, um, sorry if I'm pronouncing her last name wrong, but she is the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Visa. Uh, Visa, I, I always think of as like the kind of iconic Olympics sponsor, but uh, d- tell us about what Visa's been doing in this space. Yeah, so they, um, you know, her, Lynn's kind of positioning is that the brand is one of the biggest when it comes to sports marketing, if not the biggest. And the Olympics is a big thing for them. They're already ramping up to plan for 2020 in Tokyo. But, you know, this past year, they also were a sponsor for the FIFA World Cup and the NFL season. But one of the things I really loved when I was talking with her that, um, you know, just was a little kind of heartwarming, I guess, was they had been planning all year for the NFL season and they had this whole marketing campaign coming up and then all of the hurricanes hit and she was like, we felt really weird about just kind of promoting the brand um, during that really tough time for a lot of, you know, in cities where football was big, there was, you know, she just, she just felt weird about it. So they kind of reconfigured the campaign and found a way to partner with the Red Cross and use their airtime to kind of ask people for donations and really support those that were suffering or had lost their homes because of the hurricanes. So it was just nice to hear that, you know, sometimes marketing can do good. And in the world of sports, it's such a big platform that you can kind of really use your message to to do good. So that was kind of a nice, a nice story to hear from her. Well, I wanted to make sure that we made time to talk about esports, which I have to admit, I don't know a ton about. I mean, I'm an, I'm a gamer. I always have been, but esports is something I've not ever, you know, really followed, but I think it's a fascinating industry and, and certainly one that's growing. Sarah, tell us about it. Kate Javeri, the, the CMO of Twitch, uh, who you profiled. Twitch is obviously the kind of go-to platform for watching, uh, you know, I, I assume esports, but I definitely think of them as being the go-to place for streaming, uh, watching people, you know, competitive players or really excellent players at uh, at video games. So, so tell us about her and about kind of how Twitch is growing. Sure. So as you mentioned, I mean, esports is growing tremendously, and I can only foresee it growing even more. Um, and, and Twitch, as you mentioned, has been really this huge platform where gamers can videotape themselves uh, or rather live stream themselves playing the game um, and showing, you know, different techniques that they can use and, um, you know, different battle tactics that they're using in the, in the different games and levels. Um, Kate is part of the team there at Twitch who has now grown it to include, to be a bigger platform, especially for esports. Um, and I'd imagine that she's going to be a big player. She's coming from Twitter, and so she's had her marketing experience from there. And I can only foresee Twitch growing even more as the esports industry continues to grow and there continues to be a demand for streaming, you know, different esports sports and using that as a platform to connect with other people in that space. Well, we have, uh, man, I feel like we have barely scratched the surface here. Uh, you know, there's 30, 30 women on this list. It's an excellent list. We, we haven't even talked about Michaela Schifrin, uh, our cover star, 
uh, two-time Olympic gold medalist, alpine skier, uh, World Cup overall champion. I mean, basically the the number one female skier in the world right now uh, and was just a wonderful interview uh, that she did with Lisa Granitstein, our editor. Uh, really strongly recommend that. She seems like just a fascinating person. She has been securing sponsorships with Oakley, Red Bull, Visa. Uh, <laughs> these are not small brands. She is doing uh, very well and, and deservedly so. Uh, so strongly recommend everyone uh, check out our Q&A with Michaela Schifrin uh, and just look up the 30 most powerful women in sports on Adweek. And uh, man, just just so many cool uh, people that you may or may not have heard of in, in, uh, in a really nicely well-rounded, uh, you know, there's some agency folks, there's, as we talked about, brand and media folks, but it, it really does go all over. So thank you both for coming on to talk about it. I really appreciated uh, hearing more about what you learned from these folks. Thanks for having us. All right. Our theme music is by home. This episode was produced by Anya Fernando and edited by Lane McGibney. Thank you, Anya. Thank you, Lane. Uh, please take a moment to leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they also help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we will be back next week. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.